Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture here at Midweek. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We hope you're having a good day. We have a busy program for you. We're going to get an update on how the national rural health care system is holding up during this latest surge in, in COVID cases. Brock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President, Member Services for the National Rural Health Association, will be joining us. We're also going to be talking with Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation about this new coalition to look at agriculture's role in uh, climate change issues. Things like a carbon bank are being talked about. We're going to talk about the, this new coalition and what they hope to be able to accomplish. And also we'll talk with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels uh uh, with the Renewable Fuels Association, want to talk about their national ethanol conference going virtual next February, but also want to talk about the situation with small refiner exemptions and where we are with that, uh, and the possibilities of, of what could happen under a new Biden administration on that issue. So all that coming up on today's program. But first, we started off by learning more about the Common Ground Initiative. This has been around for 10 years now. And that is where farm wives uh, work to reach out to consumers and talk to them about uh, food issues and food questions and concerns. And we have with us a Common Ground volunteer from Nebraska, Joan Ruskamp, joins us. Joan, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, tell us a little bit more about Common Ground. Well, good morning, and, and thank you for having me. Um, yes, we're celebrating our 10th anniversary this year. Common Ground began out of the need to have farmers and ranchers share the story of, of what's really happening in the production of food. Um, the National Corn Growers Association, along with our state corn and soybean organizations, that, those checkoff dollars help support um, training, mileage, and, and any other expenses that are incurred to um, bring basically our story to our urban friends and families. Now, Common Ground supported by the National Corn Growers, as you said, and state corn and soybean organizations. Tell us about uh, other volunteers like yourself, how you got involved, who all is involved, and some of the things that you do. Sure. Uh, well, my husband Steve and I grow corn and soybeans and also um, have a feedlot where we finish cattle in northeast Nebraska. And I, I work on our farm. Um, like many women over the centuries, most of us silently worked um, behind the scenes. Um, but they found that the consumer trusted women uh, a bit more than men in, in sharing that story. And we could also connect to urban moms. And so Common Ground really seeks that commonality that women have caring for their families, growing food, and, and really um, shared values. And so we communicate those shared values uh, with, with women. And like I said, we're real. Um, we live the story, and we've really become a voice for what happens on our farms and our ranches across the country. We, we are based. Um, in our communication style on pillars of that we're always positive 
we're inclusive. Um, there's no negativity about how the production method is. We have organic growers and conventionally used production systems. Um, we're real, like I said. We actually really are farmers and ranchers, and we're factual-based. We use science to um, share the reasons behind the decisions that we make. What are some of the questions that you get when you talk with consumers, maybe some of the concerns they have about their food? Well, for me, um, really, when it comes to um, cattle and finishing cattle, a lot of it goes around three big issues. One is use of hormones, use of antibiotics, and animal welfare. And when I'm able to um, connect in a way that allows them to trust me, and that really is sharing those values that, that it's really important to people like all of us on our farms and ranches to take care of our animals. Um, this is a priority. Long before people started wondering about their food, we've been, we implemented things like the Beef Quality Assurance Program to make sure anyone working with livestock was, was using the right medicine in the right manner in the right location so that we produced quality beef. And so this has been something that's a part of us long before we started having Hollywood try to tell the story from a different angle. Um, and so and with the hormones um, and explaining how and why they're used and how, how much it helps us minimize the use of resources in producing the food that we have, um, the safety measures that are put into place, um, so that it's safe for the animal, it's safe for the environment, and it's safe for the food that's that's eaten by our consumers. Um, and the animal welfare, how we're continually trying to improve how we care for for animals, whether they're um, in a feedlot or out in a pasture, that the commonality of what we seek is is that we're always improving, um, that we're always looking for ways to do this better. And our goal is to produce healthy food because we all eat food that is in the grocery store as well and have children, grandchildren, um, grandparents maybe, that we want to be able to thrive as well. Joan, how have you found your message being received by consumers? Uh, are they skeptical? Are they open to your message? How would you describe the, the response? You know, it's, it's amazing how... It, how valuable the face of farmers and ranchers can be to the story. I, I was in a grocery store one time. We do some events where we meet one-on-one -on -one with people in, in grocery stores, and a lady was walking by, and I was just about done, just about ready to put uh, you know, my things away. And, and I saw her, and I said, hey, I'm a, I'm a farmer from, from Dodge, and I'm here in the store if you have any questions. Uh, we, have, we have cattle in a feedlot especially if you have any questions, and she just kind of, snubbed her nose at me and no I don't I don't eat any of that and walked away and I'm like okay um and then about 10 feet away she spun around and came back <laughs> and I honestly felt like she was 10 feet tall because I could feel the energy coming out of her um and I said what are your questions and really try to be positive you know people don't know and they read things on Facebook or they see movies they hear misinformation that leads them to false assumptions. And as she asked me question by question, her concerns, and I, I gave her the factual information, 
and how important it is to us to do what is right. She literally melted in front of me, and by the time we got done, like, she's no taller than I am. (laughs) So um, just (laughs) that ability to change the energy from such negativity to acceptance. And I said, you know, you gave me 15 minutes of your time to learn the story. How do we help other people? And she just kind of put her hands on her hips and said, well, you can... You can know that I will tell all my friends because I've been the one telling them That's not great. to eat any of this. So, yeah, yeah. Joan, Joan, we're out of time, but thank you. Great program, the great work being done by Common Ground. That's Joan Ruskamp from Dodge, Nebraska, a farmer volunteer with Common Ground. Thank you, Joan. Thank you. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Seed corn companies love to talk about characteristics, maturity, emergence, vigor. Those things are important, but at FS Envision, we've developed corn with some extra characteristics, like attitude, like a fighter's will to win, like the spirit to persevere, because in the end, those are the traits that get it done. Get Envision in the fight for you. Talk to your local FS crop specialist today. FS Envision. Never settle. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, let's talk about ag equipment sales. Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. The October numbers for tractor and combine sales here in the United States are positive across the board. We've seen a nice recovery. Certainly continues to be driven by that small tractor market, but boy, we're seeing some little nice signs of life in row crop tractors and shore tractors and articulated pull-wheel drive tractors and self-propelled combines. We were starting to see that in October with these October numbers and this rally we've had this past week on prices. I would certainly hope that that momentum will continue through October and all all the way through the end of the year so we can end 2020 as a positive year for uh, ag equipment sales. Now, looking forward to 2021, you know, those numbers are still also looking positive. I think there's just a fair amount of optimism in, in farm country right now. And that's that's a good thing for agriculture. That's a good thing for rural America. And that's certainly a good thing for the equipment manufacturers. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl. But with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. As we see another surge in uh, coronavirus cases across the country, we want to get an update on how the national rural health care system is is holding up with these uh, new cases and reports that we're hearing about shortage of hospital beds and things like that. Joining us is Brock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President, Member Services for the National Rural Health Association. Brock, thank you for joining us. Give us an update. Uh, I know it's different in different parts of the country, but overall, how is the system holding up? Well, thank you, Mike. It's good to be on your show today. I am afraid to report that we're seeing some really stressed health care systems right now both in rural and urban parts of our country. Uh, We are seeing uh, occupancy rates of 90% or more in our ICUs. Uh, Many states are reporting their uh, intensive care units being full and much over capacity. I will comment quickly that uh, we have more than 18 states now that have uh, 10% of their hospital patients being uh, treated for COVID. Uh, This puts us into a surge level of uh, staffing and demand, and this creates some real stress on the healthcare system in general and in rural areas specifically. What are the biggest challenges right now? Lack of bed space, uh, lack of workers, uh, what is the situation then? Well, as we say, uh, you have to have space staff and stuff to run a hospital operation. Uh, You've got the beds and if you may have the uh, stuff, the uh, personal protective equipment and the supplies, if you don't have the staff, all of that is completely useless. So we're seeing uh, not only are we short in supply for workforce in rural communities, uh, we're seeing the infection of some of our employees, which is taking them out of commission uh, for being able to serve patients, which just, which certainly um, adds to the complication of our administrators trying to uh, deal with this crisis. Are some parts of the country in in tougher shape than others? I mean, we see the surge seemingly happening in a number of states. What areas are hardest hit right now for the rural health care system? Well, we're seeing uh, some tremendous um, uh, outbreak in the upper Midwest, uh, all the way from Wisconsin over through Minnesota into the Dakotas and um, Nebraska, Colorado. And so these are states that are seeing some significant uh, demand in uh, COVID, uh, COVID treatment. And we, uh, part of the problem that that's creating is our rural hospitals don't have upline hospitals to transfer to. So once you come in uh, to the facility, uh, it's taking as long as four to six hours uh, to get a patient transferred uh, to a larger city for intensive care, uh, which just only serves to heighten the anxiety that everybody feels around the situation we're dealing with. What are the options that these hospitals have? Uh, They've got people coming in needing care. What can they do? Well, they are doing the best they can, and I'm really proud of our rural providers uh, who are who are trying to 
uh, triage patients, making sure that only those that are really needing care are admitted to hospital, uh, trying to do as much uh, with patients at home as possible to to kind of keep the demand away uh, from the hospital itself. So, so those are some of the techniques that they're using. Um, and of course, we would love to see uh, more control of the virus that, uh, so that we don't infect more people that create further demand down the road. So, uh, so that's another strategy, of course, that uh, we're we're looking at trying to implement uh, quickly. We're talking with Brock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President, Member Services for the National Rural Health Association. Brock, are are we better prepared, though, this time than when it happened earlier in the year? I mean, do you have the ventilators and PPEs, things like that? Well, we, um, we have uh, enough ventilators. Uh, again, it takes people to run those, so that's where we have the, usually the limiting factor. We also have... Um, enough PPE at the moment, although we're seeing some spot outages of that uh, in certain parts of the country, but it's not as widespread as it was earlier. Um, I think that where we're just seeing now where the before, back in the summer and spring, we saw in rural areas most of the outbreak concentrated in uh, nursing homes and meatpacking plants and other places where people had lo- and, and prisons. Um, now we're seeing that this is different in the mo- now because it's all community generated. So uh, these are outbreaks that are occurring in the community and uh, it's being spread throughout the community, which creates that, uh, that demand that we're seeing right now. What, what can be done? I mean, what do you need most? Do you need help from the government? Do you need, what do you need most right now? Right now, what we need is uh, obviously uh, the good news that we're hearing on the uh, vaccine that's imminent in terms of release and implementation. Uh, we're dealing now with the logistical issues of getting this vaccine uh, through the emergency youth authorization phase and then getting it uh, so that we can get needles in the arms as soon as possible. Um, and that, I think, uh, if we can hold on for five months, uh, about, then we can get the general population all inoculated against this disease. And I'm really encouraged about the 90 to 95% effectiveness rate of the vaccine. What a tremendous, um, uh, entry into this situation that we have. Until then, though, we're really going to have to focus on face coverings, avoiding large gatherings, uh, get that flu vaccine as soon as possible. And if you're feeling unwell, make sure that you stay home. Those are the biggest things we can do right now to prevent this uh, spread until we get to the vaccine phase. So we've talked about full hospitals. Let's talk about fewer hospitals. Have we lost more this year? Yeah, Mike, we've uh, lost a hospital in Georgia this last week uh, or week before last now. So we're up to 17 this year in 2020, and then uh, that's up to 133 since 2010. So uh, this is another unfortunate side effect of what's going on in our uh, healthcare system and the challenges it presents to rural uh, rural hospitals, which is which is certainly extraordinary right now. I was going to say, even once we get past COVID, I mean, will the financial situation you think? cause more closures for some of these rural hospitals? That's a great question, Mike. I tell people that uh, 
we got some money through the provider relief funds that Congress um, and the president uh, put into effect with the CARES Act back uh, in the in the summer in late spring, and we're implementing some of those provider relief funds now. But it's like I would say, that's like uh, the patient is in the intensive care, and we just gave them uh, a shock, uh, an electric shock to reverse the heart attack. But nevertheless, the patient is still in intensive care. So we are very much uh, looking to uh, try to do what we can uh, with the incoming administration and Congress, the new Congress, the 117th Congress, to pass legislation that will help rural hospitals. Absolutely. You're talking about the staffing shortages. Uh, earlier in the year, hospitals were laying people off because you weren't, they weren't able to do elective surgeries and things like that. So now you have a shortage. Uh, were those people brought back for the most part, or they st- were they still permanently laid off? What's the situation there? Well, those were temporary, uh, short of, uh, temporary layoffs uh, because when the pandemic first started back in March of this year, uh, we saw the uh, spread mostly in urban areas in the east and west coast. And so in the broad center of the country where many of our rural communities are, uh, we didn't have any COVID, uh, outed, uh, COVID outbreak, which is great. I mean, we're certainly not complaining about that. But CMS and CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, uh, recommended and required that we shut down all elective and non-emergent services. And this created um, a hollowing out of all of the business in our rural hospitals. The hallways were empty. The clinics were empty. And so this presented a real problem for our patients uh, and for our providers to be able to financially uh, sustain themselves. So that's why the provider relief funds were so important. Um, It helped to uh, offset some of the loss that these providers were feeling so that they can keep the the employees uh, uh, whole during this period of time. Also, the Paycheck Protection Program was another important uh, uh, entry into the ability for rural hospitals to stay solvent during that uh, during that uh, period of time as well. Difficult times indeed. Brock, thank you for the update. Well, you're welcome, and thanks for having me. All right. We'll stay in touch. Brock Slayball, Senior Vice President, Member Services for the National Rural Health Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online.
Time now for a market check here on AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Soybean futures trending higher in early activity on this Wednesday, partially driven by upticks in soybean products, especially soybean oil, which rose overnight at its best level since June 2014. In soybean futures an hour into the day, January up 18 and a half at 11.88 and a quarter. March up 17 and three quarters, 11.86 and a quarter. Soybean oil, 85 to 95 points higher. Soybean meal, $2.10 to $3.10 higher per ton. In corn futures, we are trending higher. USDA saying 140,000 tons of corn sold to unknown destinations in 2020-21. December corn up six cents at 4.26 and a quarter. March up four at 4.31. In the wheats, Chicago December up three and a half, five ninety-eight and three quarters. Kansas City December up a half at five fifty-three. Minneapolis spring wheat December up three quarters of a cent at five forty-nine and a half. March up a quarter of a cent at five sixty-six. For live cattle futures, December steady at one eleven thirty-two. February up fifteen cents at one thirteen seventy-five. A few cash cattle sales being noted on Tuesday afternoon. Prices fully steady with last week at $110 per hundred weight on a live basis. In feeder cattle, January down 92 at 138.80. March down 75 at 138.42. Lean hog futures, December steady at 65.50. February down a nickel per hundred weight at 65.57. Outside markets, the Dow is up 59, S&P 500 up 2, crude oil up 56. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. A coalition of ag, food, forestry, and environmental groups has been formed called the Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance. And this group um, dealing with issues like climate change one of those groups is the American Farm Bureau Federation, and joining us now from AFBF is Andrew Walmsley. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Tell us about this new alliance, who's involved in it, and what's your goal? Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, it's really groundbreaking what we announced uh, yesterday. Uh, when you look at the, the policy issue, which is uh, around climate, 
uh, and the controversy that that, that stirs potentially in ag and, and rural America and the groups that are involved. So uh, we launched the, the Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance with originally eight organizations as, as kind of founding members. It includes Farm Bureau, uh, Environmental Defense Fund, the Nature Conservancy, uh, our forest owners, NAFO, uh, Food Industry Association, State Departments of Ag, Farmers Union, and National Council of Former Cooperatives to kind of come together and see where we could find agreement on, a, on like I said, a, a fairly controversial issue at times. Have you been able to find common ground? Yes, and so with that, we came out with uh, almost 50 pages of, of recommendations. Uh, you can find them at the website agclimatealliance.com. Uh, we've got a little over 40 recommendations there. Um, but our overarching goal with all of these recommendations is that they've got to work for farmers and ranchers. They're, they're voluntary market and incentive-based policies um, based on science and that promote resilience uh, and, and help our rural communities become stronger. Okay, so we have seen at times a rub between agriculture's voluntary approach to issues like this and what's often... Uh, uh, more of a mandated approach by government. Do you think you can find a compromise here to make this work? Well, that's definitely our hope. Um, you know, if we're, we're not um, discussing these issues, um, you know, if ag's not providing input, it, it, it's where bad decisions are going to be made. And I hate the cliche, and if you've been around Washington more than five minutes, you know, if you're uh, not at the table, you're on the table. And with Thanksgiving coming up almost a week away, we figured we should start setting the table around this discussion. Uh, when you look at both what's happening in the private sector and commitments by, you know, businesses that impact agri agriculture, when you look at the full va food value chain, to obviously the policy discussions that are gearing up with the new administration, uh, with the next Congress. You know, we, we saw these tea leaves, uh, you know, forming almost a year ago when we put the group together. Uh, and we've been working for really the last six months um, to try to find policies that work for American agriculture, um, that, you know, if you are sincere about wanting to work in this space, uh, you know, from an environmental community, here are things that can make a difference uh, and things that will hopefully in the long run uh, make our farmers stronger and more resilient and provide additional societal benefits. We're talking with Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation, AFBF, one of the groups in the new Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance. All right, Andrew, a lot of talk about a carbon bank and carbon markets. How do you uh, approach that? Uh, do you have? Does your group have a recommendation on those? Well, we definitely don't have all the answers, and and we're looking to to work with partners. But we definitely think, you know, markets, uh, particularly private markets, uh, are going to be key uh, to making this work. Uh, we obviously need the science and research. Uh, to figure out how, how it actually works, you know, to make sure from a sequestration standpoint uh, that those that might be purchasing credits are, are confident in those, but also in a way that the verification costs don't, don't eat up any profitability for farmers as well. And so, uh, you know, it's a hybrid model where we're wanting to work with the private sector, but there's obviously a role uh, for the, the public sector. And, and really high level, there was two tracks we were looking at. You know, these carbon markets, potentially a carbon bank at USDA, you know, if, if you know, for some of our larger landowners, those that are really innovative, um, they're going to go chase that ton that they can sequester or that ton of carbon equivalent that they can destroy. You know, we want to set up that marketplace for them. And then the other idea is working within the sphere that we've traditionally had within RCS and USDA is, you know, for the, either the smaller landowners or those farmers that say, man, you know, I just I want to do a little bit better, but I, I'm focused on farming. 
you know, can somebody help me along the way? Um, you know, there's that track as well to work through NRCS and look at NRCS programs that, that can help farmers you know, be better stewards in this space. Some may, this may bring back memories and not, not necessarily good memories either of cap and trade. How do you avoid the mistakes made with that several years ago? Yeah, that discussion was obviously ripe about 10 years ago. You know, the world has, has definitely changed since then. Uh, I don't believe, you know, some of the tactics that were used then uh, and some of the allies that were maybe around that issue don't exist today. I, I think you see too much uh, gearing up for action, either once again in the private sector or, or from, from policy at the state and federal level. You know, agriculture's got to be engaged in this. What The one thing that hasn't changed, and particularly for American Farm Bureau Federation, you know, Mike, that we are policy-driven from our grassroots members, and we are not deviating from that. You know, we have tried to work in a space in, in the for-support policy area with this project, but we still have clear lines drawn on things with, that we would oppose, um, and, and things like cap-and-trade or carbon tax would be detrimental to ag, and, and we'll work you know, to, to kill bad policy proposals like that. But if for folks that are wanting to, to work and, and move incrementally and start really making a change in this space to help support farmers, you know, we think these 40 recommendations with the Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance is a good start. You're obviously reaching out to members of Congress and potentially a new Biden administration to show agriculture's willingness to work on these areas, as you said, with a voluntary approach, also pointing out what has been done, is being done, and what agriculture can do. History tells us there will be those, though, in the environmental community that will almost immediately say, that's not enough, you're not going far enough, more has to be done, uh, and will propose some things that that will probably not be very uh, acceptable to the ag community. So that seemingly is where the potential rub is going to be, if history is any indicator. Uh, so those will be some of the rough spots you're going to have to work through. Without a doubt. I mean, uh, I think there's a saying that, you know, uh, planting the seeds the, the easiest day. We planted a seed yesterday, and now we're on to harvest, and we've got a long way to go um, to get there. But I think what's key about this group is that this is really the first time that environmental groups, you know, Environmental Defense Fund, Nature Conservancy, uh, has, has come to the ag community to, ha- to have a dialogue. Uh, and like I said, we've come together on about 40 recommendations. You know, one of the key things in Washington is to have a broad coalition to work on issues. And there absolutely will be the naysayers that, that are out there, but uh, we're hoping to expand our tent. We had over 400 stakeholders log into our announcement yesterday. Uh, you know, this group's open to new membership. We, we want to bring in more of the ag community. We want to bring in more of the environmental community. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's going to have to be a balanced policy approach for, for Congress to consider um, that's going to benefit all. And, and we'll just have to, to work through those setbacks. We know there's going to be challenges, but it won't be enough. But it, it's what will work for agriculture, hopefully. I I would agree that the the approach that you're taking and the alliance that you have formed, which includes some of the groups that may have been those naysayers in the past or critics of agriculture, being part of that alliance, uh, I would think would help overcome some of these issues and put you in a better position and make these proposals to uh, to Congress and the administration. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every every you know. When you look at agriculture, we're, you know, farmers and ranchers are less than, than 2% of the population. Uh, and, and to make sure that our voice is heard, it's, it's about working in alliances and, and trying to work across the aisle 
uh, while also being being true to your members and, and your mission. And that's what we're trying to, to achieve here, uh, knowing that this, this debate is coming, uh, and we're just trying to best position ourselves to, to make a difference, to provide the societal benefits that consumers are expecting, um, but also ensuring that, that our farmers and ranchers are sustainable, which, you know, at the basis is economic viability. You know, we got to always keep that in mind as well. Yeah, so often some of these proposals have seemed to be to, to those in the ag community as things that would put them out of business. So finding a way to achieve the goals and stay in business, uh, that's going to be the key. What's your next step? Well, uh, next steps is uh, basically when I hang up with, with you, we're going to be talking to the Biden transition team. Uh, we did a lot of outreach over the last two days to the, the Hill and Senate and, and the USDA. Um, you know, like I mentioned, we had our big stakeholder call yesterday afternoon. Uh, we're inviting other groups in, and so we're hoping to build our, our membership base. Uh, and we basically turn to advocacy now. Uh, we gear up for a new administration and the 117th Congress that, that convenes in January. Uh, you know, we've got these proposals out there. It's, it's time to educate. It's time to work together uh, and see, you know, what opportunities lay down the road. You know, if we end up with a divided Congress, I doubt we'll see a, a major climate bill, which will probably bode well for agriculture. Uh, but there'll be opportunities in the appropriation process. We've got a farm bill coming up in 2023. It's starting to lay the groundwork for, for these types of legislation that we'll be working on in the future. And no doubt these issues, these environmental issues, are going to be key moving forward. And there's going to be policy coming down uh, that will certainly impact agriculture. As you said, that's why it's important to be part of the process in informing those policies. Yeah, absolutely correct. I mean, you know, the one thing that, that we like folks to realize, you know, when, when you talk about this space and greenhouse gas emissions, you know, U.S. ag is less than 10 percent. You know, the world is closer to 25 percent. One of the reasons I think there's such a huge difference there is that we have been very much voluntary incentive-based. We've got a strong foundation of innovation. You look, the last two generations or so, we've increased our output in American agriculture by over 270% while our inputs have remained flat. That's a huge story. That's what we've got to continue to build on and make sure we have common sense policies going forward in, in the sustainability space. Yeah, and to make sure that agriculture's voice is heard in this discussion. Andrew, thank you for the update. We'll, we'll look forward to talking with you more about this. Absolutely. Thank you. Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation, AFBF, one of the groups in the new Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover key tar from your 80s cover band? 
Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. To protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and his camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve! By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, let's look now at some meat export numbers, especially pork. Some encouraging numbers as we talk it over with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. The exports for September on pork came in really about where we expected, 10% growth year on year. But China was up, but it wasn't the only market up. Broad-based growth, which is encouraging. We saw significant increases in Japan. Vietnam, Philippines, Taiwan, Chile, the Caribbean, several markets. So we're very encouraged by that. And, and one of the drivers here in Asia specifically is the demand in Asia is really getting back. It varies a little bit by country, but in general, really getting back to normal. 
a lot of activities are happening, in-person activities, consumption's rebounding, the economies are rebounding. So it's really a perfect storm for increased business in the Asia region. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, not unexpectedly, but certainly uh, disappointing that, in fact, another meeting has uh, chosen to go virtual next year because of COVID-19. That's the National Ethanol Conference. And joining me now to talk about that is Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Um, Jeff, I know that uh, this isn't what you wanted, but uh, it's just the times in which we live right now. Uh, This is an event that's always such a big part of it is getting face to face and talking with each other in the hallways like so many of our ag meetings are. But um, the virtual uh, meeting that the folks are going to does open some opportunities maybe for more people to get involved in the discussion. Yeah, that's right, Mike, and and good morning, and thanks for having me. Uh, You're absolutely correct. There is no substitute for personal interaction, and and we really held off as long as we possibly could to make this decision. Uh, But our our National Ethanol Conference was scheduled to be in San Diego, California in February. There's just no way that we're going to be able to to hold that event there with the restrictions and and the ongoing concerns around covid uh, you know, the NEC is one of the biggest highlights of the year for the ethanol industry. It's certainly my favorite event of the year. Uh, we didn't want to have to do it uh, digitally, but but we really didn't have a choice. So um, bottom line is, we've you know, we've made the decision, and, and we're going to put on the best dang digital conference around. Um, you know, we feel like it's going to be must-see TV, but it will also be participatory, too, and we're going to do some new things to really allow and encourage uh, audience and, and attendee participation in, in this digital format. It is one of my favorite events as well, and I will certainly miss uh, not being there with uh, the folks from all around the ethanol industry. It's such a great uh, uh, resource of information, but at least you'll be able to provide that information still through the virtual format. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right, Mike. And, and in fact, you know, there are some benefits that, that come with doing this sort of event digitally. As, as you mentioned, um, it does open the door to more attendees uh, and, and a broader audience and, and discussion. Uh, we're able to put the conference on for a lower cost, and that allows lower registration fees. Uh, and we're also able to probably get some interesting speakers uh, to participate in a digital format that, that might not have been able to participate in person or, or, or fly to San Diego. So there are some uh, silver linings, and, and like I said, we're going to do everything we can to make uh, this is a, a very valuable and uh, insightful experience for uh, for the participants. You know, I think timing-wise, we've got a lot to talk about. We've got a, a changing political landscape with the new administration coming in. We've got, you know, continued regulatory challenges. We've got an uncertain future about the, the transportation fuels marketplace. We're still dealing with the market impacts of COVID. Uh, so there's a lot going on in the industry that, that we need to talk about. And we think the NEC will be a good forum to do that. And we'll talk more about that virtual event as we get closer. Let me ask Stern that EPA 
kind of as parting gifts as they go out the door that this EPA would grant requests that they have before them? Well, it's certainly a concern that we uh, continue to have, and we are keeping a very watchful eye on, on what's going on at EPA these days. It does seem that EPA and the other agencies at the federal level um, are sort of, uh, uh, I guess, running amok at this point. Um, there isn't a whole lot of oversight uh, coming from the White House um, on, on some of these agencies currently. Uh, and so we are concerned that, that uh, you know, we could see EPA act on some of these pending uh, unresolved issues that have been in front of the agency for, for the better part of a year. They've still got 35 small refinery exemption petitions sitting there. They've got another 17 so-called gap year waiver requests that haven't yet been rejected. Uh, they've got requests from oil state governors and, and senators for a general waiver of the RFS. None of those issues have been decided, uh, and we are concerned that, that EPA could uh, you know, could could push the button on any one of those uh, uh, waivers and exemption requests on their way out the door, and that would be disastrous for uh, for the program, and and would require a new administration to come in and try and undo that damage and and clean up the mess in in the first uh, few months in, in in office. I know you're reaching out to the Biden transition team, but it's difficult when you really you don't know who the EPA administrator will be, the new one under a Biden administration. So, but do you have any feeling of what their approach might be to uh, the RFS and this issue of small refinery exemptions? Well, it, it has been tricky to to find the right people to interact with um, with the transition team, uh, especially because they haven't really settled into any of these uh, you know offices or buildings yet. Uh, not only because of, of COVID nineteen, but just because of of some of the difficulties with with transitioning. Um, you know, that, that we're seeing with our current politics. Um, but we do have a pretty good sense of, of where the Biden folks are on the RFS. Uh, you know, President-elect Biden has been very clear that uh, he, he sees the RFS as a, an important policy. He sees it as a promise and a bond with farmers is actually how he's described it. Um, and he's spoken out uh, specifically on the small refinery exemptions and said he'd put a stop to those on day one in office. So, uh, we're, you know, we're taking him at his word, and, and it shouldn't matter who the next EPA administrator is. Uh, those are promises that were made uh, that we think uh, ought to be uh, upheld and, and uh, you know, commitments that we're expecting to see uh, followed through upon. So uh, we do feel pretty good about uh, where the RFS stands with, with the Biden administration, uh, but we also have some, you know, some, some issues about the longer-term future of fuels policy that we're going to have to work through with this administration. So we shall see. Um, the hi history tells us be wary of promises made by politicians, right? <laughs> Sometimes that's different than promises kept. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I know you'll be trying to hold them to uh, those promises that have been made. Jeff, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot, and we'll be in touch. All right. Thanks so much, Mike. Take care. You too. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Again, the National Ethanol Conference next February will be a virtual event. A lot of those uh, going on and will be going on throughout these winter months. All right, busy show today. Another one coming up tomorrow, and we'll be taking a look at some of the uh, market development work that's going on by several groups uh, during this uh, pan worldwide pandemic. Uh, makes it challenging, but a lot of good work 
market development work is still getting done. We'll get updates tomorrow and much, much more. Hope you'll join us right here. Stay safe, everyone. Thanks for being with us on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.